Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Bharat Parashar, who's the CEO of Ceylon Graphite, the TSXB listed uh, Graphite Junior with assets in Sri Lanka. And if you want to hear our thoughts and opinions on that conversation, their plans and the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports. There's commentary from market experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities. There are summaries of other interviews that we've done. There are training videos and a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, safe environment. So do go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Bharat, how are you doing, sir? Good morning. We're doing well here. It's a little, uh, uh, you know, the COVID and all that in California, it's a bit strange, but uh, we'll survive. I'm sure you will. I'm sure. Not a bad place in the world to be hanging out, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, so so uh, we, we've we met before. We, we met a couple of years ago on with this story, and we met... A couple of years before that, maybe eighteen months before that, with an oil and gas story. So, we've got we've got some history. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, look, we're going to hear uh, today about uh, the story. We'll kind of get into the weeds a bit with you, graphite. Interesting times for graphite. Um, because, you know, Elon Musk. Uh, I think he refers to uh, lithium ion batteries. Said they should be called nickel graphite batteries. Absolutely, uh, that right, is right? Uh, something that we're trying to change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, uh, um, why don't you kick off? Give us that one-minute overview of the story, and I'll pick it up from there. Uh, well, Ceylon Graphite is a Canadian company that's uh, listed on the TSX uh, Venture Exchange, uh, but um, all our assets are in Sri Lanka. Uh, and when I say all our assets, we have a large land bank there, 121 uh, grids, uh, of which we are currently working on uh, several. Uh, but that's basically who we are. Uh, as you know, Sri Lanka um, was the, at one time, maybe at the turn of the previous century, the turn of uh, the 19th to the 20th century, the largest producer of graphite in the world. And historically, it has had a very different type of graphite compared to anybody else. Uh, it's got vein graphite, and it is uh, the highest grade graphite available on the planet. Right. Okay. Look, th- thanks for the summary. Let, let's let's talk about the beginnings, though, because this isn't an old company. You you, you, st- you kicked off in two thousand and fifteen. So, what was the plan day one? What did you want to try and do? Well, you know, like all other things, uh, it is um, fortuitous. I say that this came about. Uh, we were uh, my my friends, uh, rather colleagues, uh, and me uh, were trying to sell an investment we had in Sri Lanka, uh, which was a, a mini hydro project, just uh, something we had developed over the years. We started at half a meg and took it up to thirty-seven and a half meg. But as we were selling this, we came upon this opportunity, and someone told us that Sri Lanka was the largest producer of plumbago. Plumbago, as you know, is the old name for graphite. <laughs> And uh, we did a bit of uh, investigation and actually found out that uh, there was a lot of uh, graphite uh, mining that was done in Sri Lanka by the British post, uh, I'm sorry, pre the Second World War. And once sort of, you know, the Second World War happened, uh, the British went off to fight the Second World War. Um, Sri Lanka got independence, price of graphite nosedive, so the industry sort of went out of vogue. But uh, the real interesting thing that we found out was that in those days, people only, you know, that's find a, a vein on the surface, 
and they tunnel down in the overburden all the way to the rock. The moment they reach the rock, couldn't go into the rock, didn't have the expertise, on we go to the next vein. So we built a hypothesis at that time that said that, uh, you know, given there was so much of this going on all around Sri Lanka, uh, wherever there was old production, pretty good chance when we hit the rock, there'll be more graphite available. And even in the overburden, the Sri Lankan graphite, even though weathered, was around 85 to 90%, which is, you know, stupendous by, by world, uh, other world, uh, whatever else is available in the world. So what we did is uh, we hired a guy on a motorcycle. Sorry, before that, we went to the GSMB, who's the, the, the regulator in Sri Lanka, the Geological Society and Mines Bureau, and asked them if they had any old you know, maps, details of where this stuff was done. And amazingly, they gave us a beautiful map showing where you know, the, this previous mining was. We hired a guy on a motorcycle, sent him to about 30 of these sites and said, take photographs of whatever you find. Uh, we took that to a Canadian geologist, given that uh, sort of my, my uh, uh, colleagues are from Canada and mining is a big deal in Canada. And we showed them the pictures. They felt that they were excellent sites. There was a lot of dump available. They could see the formation of old shafts. Uh, boom. What we do next, we went to Sri Lanka, spoke to the GSMB, and uh, managed to get a concession on about 116 grids. A grid is one square kilometer. The whole country of Sri Lanka is broken into grids. And we picked up grids with about 95% production. And uh, we then got out there, had some... Uh, uh, a tertiary feasibility, not a feasibility, so a very basic 43101 done. Uh, put it all into a company called Plumbago Refining and then spun it into a Canadian, um, an RTO on the TSX. Okay. That's how we started, January 1, 2017. Right, okay, so just want to stop you there. You're, you seem to be a bit of an entrepreneur. You, you were involved with hydroelectric. I mean, what, give, me, give me a bit of your background. Who am I getting into bed with here? My background is uh, quite uh, strange. Uh, <laughs> I started off as a uh, squash player, uh, then went into uh, investment banking. Uh, my last investment banking gig was, oh, end of the century, last century, beginning of this century as uh, head of uh, Solomon Brothers uh, Asian, uh, you know, South and South Asian uh, uh, activities, Southeast Asian activities. I left them and uh, wanted to retire. I hadn't seen my children, but I got uh, uh, brought in by uh, a company called uh, Emerging Markets Partnership to help out with the private equity business in Asia. Uh, ran a company called uh, EMP Daiwa, which was uh, uh, a joint venture with EMP uh, between EMP and the Daiwa Securities of Japan to build a private equity business in Asia. And then sort of went into my own investing, dibbling and dabbling, did a few projects here and there. Uh, and um, in the meantime, was helping uh, my uh, friend and uh, colleague, Sasha Jacob, uh, with his um, project in Sri Lanka. Given that you know I'm South Asian, I've been to Sri Lanka many times, uh, and uh, I know that area. So we built that business, and uh, then found the Ceylon graphite uh, opportunity. And given that we were maybe the only guys who were in Sri uh, in um, investing in Sri Lanka around 
the turn of the century. We started off in about 2003, finished off in about 2010, height of the civil war. Uh, the government there was thrilled with us. And uh, not that we are on either side or we support one versus the other, but we know most of the players there and uh, memories are long in that part of the world, as you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I forgot about this. The, the, was it the Tamil Tigers? Is that, is that I'm getting it right? That's right. That's right. right. Yes. But is everything, everything has calmed down there, both? Uh, yes, that's all over. I mean, every country has its own issues. I don't, you know, a year ago, a year and a half ago, we had the horrible uh, uh, Easter Sunday bombing there. Yeah. You might remember. Yeah. It's quite horrific. Uh, you know, but, you know, that's a part of life. And I think people have come to realize that there are ups and downs. They've got a new president now uh, who's doing a great job, I think. Uh, and uh, making life much easier for people like me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think things will improve. Then we've unfortunately now got this other problem, which uh, is, a, is a global problem. But, you know, that too will pass. That, that, that too will pass. So, okay, so as, as a jurisdiction, it's had a bit of a checkered past. People can do business. Are there other businesses and, and public companies operating in Sri Lanka at the moment? Yes, there are uh, a fair amount of uh, international companies operating there. <clears throat> the one thing we must keep in mind, though, obviously, Matthew, is Sri Lanka is a small country. There are 22 million people. You can drive from north to south, east to west in one day. So it's not that uh, large a, 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 a country. Um, they've had uh, tourism as their, one of their primary uh, foreign exchange earners, but mining has picked up. The government has rules uh, and regulations, uh, you know, like all, all other uh, past dominions of the British Empire, a little bit of bureaucracy. But uh, if you get to, uh, if you have a bit of patience uh, and you're willing to put your money where your mouth is and just get on with it, they're pretty good about it. Uh, I, I will say this, uh, you know, I have not had to uh, pay a bribe yet. And not that I will, but nobody's even asked me for one. I mean, it, it has more or less been, let's do it. Okay, that, that, and, that, uh, that, that's, that's a good point to make, actually, because, again, having myself and worked around, Africa and even South America, you know, that that's that does happen. So, um, again, I, I, just, I just want to understand their ability to do business. So in terms of mining law and the rule of law, uh, or some mining regulations, I should say, and the, and the rule of law, it is well understood. Uh, and they, what do they use? British? French? I mean, what, what, what's... He's the rule of law, obviously, is uh, common law, which is the British law. British law, right. Okay. Uh, very similar to British law. I mean, Sri Lanka, like India, was a dominion of, uh, under the, you know, the Commonwealth and all that. Uh, but um, it's pretty straightforward. Yes, it can be a bit uh, long-winded at times. Uh, for example, when we got our mining license, we had to go to 12 different departments of the government to get approval starting on one side from urban development to the other side, the archaeological society. Because, you know, in Sri Lanka, open pit mining is not permitted. So we only do underground mining. So we had to, you know, show them that we were not digging into people's bones and other archaeological, uh, you know, things. Because Sri Lanka has a history going back three, 4,000 years. You never know where there are archaeological digs going on. Right, okay. You, you had 4.5 million, uh, which you raised in October, and it was announced back in, yes. in back in August. So you were hoping to get a little bit more money. What was the... What's the... Well, we had, uh, we had a, another investor who came, had a promise to come in, an international investor, 
and that just sort of didn't pan out eventually. So we quickly shut that down uh, and, uh, you know, raised it domestically. Right. Okay. When I say domestically, I mean Canada. In Canada. Okay. So let's, let's talk about what you've got. Okay. You, you, you talk about there's, there's four projects that I'm looking at, K1, M1, H1, and P1, right? That's what we have going so far. That's right. Right. So what stage are each of those, if you don't mind talking me through those? Absolutely. Uh, so when we started off, uh, Matthew, we started off with just, uh, you know, we, we asked the GSMB, which site is a good site. Uh, I'm not an investment, uh, a geologist or a miner, you know, so they said, try this one. We did some, you know, many years ago, this was a good site. So we, we started off with K1, we started off drilling there. And um, given our hypothesis, we decided to go full uh, uh, fledged in there. We, we did some drills and then we went in and we saw the shaft and we started cleaning the shaft simultaneously. Uh, in, in, in the, during the period of the drilling, we found some big veins but we didn't do a typical uh, uh, mining project. I didn't go and do 60 holes or whatever people, 70 holes. We did eight holes and six of them were successful. At the same time, we went down 150 feet and I found these mega veins there, you know? Uh, so we started off initially by uh, fixing the shaft with wood. We got down to the bottom of the shaft and did more digging and went through the, uh, the rock a little bit, uh, we had, you know, and we have all, had all the problems of uh, mining in Sri Lanka, which is it's a it's a rock base, so there's a lot of seepage of water. It's uh, in the height in the middle of the tropics, a lot of rain, so you get a lot of flooding, so you got to know how to take the water out. But we did all that, and K1 is our sort of flagship right now. We got there, we did all the testing, as you know, we've uh, had Dofna. Uh, Anzaplan of Germany and American Energy out of the United States test our graphite and they say it's expandable, battery uh, marketable, and uh, you can spherodize it or spheronize it depending on how you want to call it. And we're ready to go. So we went to the government and we started off uh, uh, the process to get the what they call an IMLA license, Industrial Mining License A, which when you get, you can do anything you want in the mine, including use of explosives and this and that and the other. But there are lots of things that go around it. So we started that process and uh, we were the fourth company in the last 30 years to get it. And uh, hey, bingo, we are, that's our flagship. It's in production. We declared production there in uh, December of last year. And uh, unfortunately, the COVID came along. So government put on restrictions that uh, uh, we couldn't go underground because it might contaminate people. Uh, but we announced uh, three days ago that uh, we are restarting uh, production and going back to full, um, you know, everything's back to normal uh, at K1, 1st of December. At the same time as I was doing K1, we came upon an opportunity to pick up another old uh, site called, what we call M1, it's in Malsaripura. There are five grids, one, two, three, four, five, right next to each other. They're on the same geological block as the big Sri Lankan mine of Kahataga, which is right uh, uh, close by, uh, as is Ragadera, the other gov old government mine. And so we picked that up. And I think you've seen in my presentation, we started off with an 18-inch uh, piece of graphite that came out of the earth. And 
I had nothing to do there one day, so I told the, my mind manager, just let's wash this and make it look nice so I can take a photograph, right? Yeah. Got to be a bit of PR here. And when we cleaned it, we found a 10-foot rain on surface. Never has everybody ever found something like this. So we immediately started work there. We did a res resistivity study. Uh, and um, we've now gone up to a stage where we've got a 100-foot shaft. We've gone down. Again, on my presentation, there are uh, pictures of me down there at 100 feet with my arms spread out. And I'm a big guy. Six foot two, my wingspan is about six six, and the size of this vein is huge. So those are the two major sites. Uh, we start uh, with all this. So we've got different things going on on those two sites. The next thing to do at uh, M1 is get the IMLA. That process started three days ago. I'm hoping to get it by April. Fingers crossed. You know things will move now. Uh, they, they found maybe some signs of a vaccine, and we're going to go for that. At the same time, given we have exploration licenses on all the other sites, we can do some work on them. Uh, and we started off with H1. H1 is close by to K1, as is P1. Uh, and uh, we've started some drilling there, and we had started initially going down into the shaft, you know, following our own uh, hypotheses. And we found this three-and-a-half-foot vein, now, I understand that people will say that graphite, vein graphite bulbs and pinches, you know, gets big and small, big and small, as it goes down to the earth. Fine. We have no problem with that, but we want to get down there to the bottom of the shop, hit the rock, and then start our work. Till then, we just pick out the stuff and throw it away. So that's where we are on these four sites. Uh, the biggest issue for me, obviously, that is getting... You know, I, I've got so many sites I can go after, but not in my lifetime will I finish them. So I want to pick about 10 good sites. We've got about six, seven more yeah, that we've had some preliminary geological work done on. I've got a team of geologists in Sri Lanka who are out there all the time uh, looking. And <clears throat> when the money comes in, I can start them off. The beauty of what we bring to the table, Matthew, is we can build a mine in quick time. I think we're the fastest in the world. It takes me about two, two and a half years to start producing in a mine. Plus, it costs us nothing. I, I, can, I did K1 and we'll do M1, each mine for around two, two and a half million dollars. Up to production start. I'm not saying into the future, but up to production start. Uh, K1, 150 feet shaft, M1 about 120. And I'm going to add it, uh, bring in an added from the side of the hill. So if I can get some capital, put up 10 mines, they say, my geologists on a conservative day say 500, uh, say, you know, 500 tons a month, four to 500 tons a month. So about 5,000 tons per annum, uh, you know. So if we can do 10 mines, we're at 50,000 tons in, say, five years. Right, okay. So that's me, the plan. That's the plan. Okay. It's a, it's a plan. It's a bit generic at the moment, okay, because you've got, obviously, K1, you've done a lot of work on. M1, you're going to do a lot of work on, and then you've got the... No, the, no, we've already done. We just have a little bit left to do. 
That's what I mean. But you've got you you've got to work out what you're you're going to do, how you're going to be able to to mine out, how, how you spend. Because I'm trying to I'm trying to put this in the in the context of like conventional mining, right? Normally people kind of go through scoping studies and of, of various levels uh, of economic studies Absolutely. through to the point where they can understand what it is that they're looking at, not not what some geologists say, but how do you you get to the point where you can talk to the market and say, do you know what? Not only have we got high grade, we know we've got high grade. We know how much we've got though. Because I think when I was reading through this stuff, it was difficult for me to work out the scale of the opportunity because of you know things like the the graphite price. I think there's, it's had a tricky couple of years. It's coming back now, and it's great. I think you know I, I, I understand that. But in terms of what you've got, how the economics around it, how you get it into market, you've done it. You've done some initial sales of of product. People seem to like what you've got. But when are you going to be able to kind of come to us and say, right, this is the way forward. I just need the money to be able to do it. But this is the way we're going to deliver it. Uh, so my mantra and the mantra that I've driven through the company is quite simple. It's three words, production, production, production. And and that's the way forward for a company like ours. Now, graphite, like any other product, uh, has um, a variety of uses. And as you go down the scale, or rather I should say as you go up the scale, it becomes more and more complex. So what we are right now, Matthew, is a producer of raw graphite. The beauty of what we have is our in-situ graphite is 90 to 95% carbon content. Carbon is how you measure the uh, purity or the grade of graphite. So our plan over the next couple of years is to be become a graphite producer and put these mines into production. Uh, yes, uh, 43101 Jork or whatever, which jurisdiction you are and you call it, we have done a 43101 on M1. We have done everything but a last certification on K1. Uh, K1, 55,000 odd tons, they are saying, is the, is the reservoir. On M1, they are saying 76,000 tons. Uh, you know, could be three times that, uh, given the fact that the two producing mines in Sri Lanka, Kahataga and Bogla, been in operation over 150 years, down to 2,500 feet. You know, we're at 150 feet. Uh, it, it's, it's like an oil well. Nobody knows how much there is in there, the estimation. But, you know, having said all that, I take your point. Uh, our whole uh, basis and theory is we do... Uh, um, we will do some, obviously we are not going to go into a mine and you can't do a mine without doing some drilling. Uh, you have to do some drilling to be able to 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 just tell yourself, yes, there is a, you'll be able to certify that there is some graphite down there and how far it's going to go and how thick the intercepts are or how wide they are. Uh, we are also, uh, we've got senior geologists looking at it, we will do the so-called basic 43-101 if we have to. It is not something that we start off with. We're not going to do a feasibility study. My view is simply once I can certify reserves, I know how much it costs me and I can see the, the veins, I'm just going to start producing. And I think in three years, looking at even my you know most 
conservative perspective on stuff, uh, we will be down. We, you know, we'll, we'll be making 40 million bucks a bit down. Now, everyone's going to say, oh, price of graphite is, in the, is not doing too well. So price of graphite is doing okay, depending on what graphite you're selling. We are selling high-grade graphite. Sri Lankan graphite, through the travails of the Chinese uh, flooding the market and everything else, has stayed at around $2,000 a ton, you know, compared to the graphite that comes out of other places, which has been seven, eight hundred, up to about fifteen hundred, depending on the mesh. Mesh is the size of the flake. Uh, but I think one has to look at graphite, Matthew, more in the next stage. And we are starting that process already as to what are we going to do when we grow up? So the issue is, are we going to just stay as a natural graphite producer? No, the Sri Lankan government wants us to do some value add. What are we going to do? Are we going to go expand with graphite? Are we going to spheroidize? Or are we going to get into a joint venture with a manufacturer? That, that's the issue because the graphite market is growing in leaps and bounds right now with the use EVs. You know, the big word is the yeah, okay, let me, let me, electric let me, vehicles. Um, but, Sorry, let me, but let me come back to that. Let me, we, we will talk about that, but let me come back to it because I, I, want, I want to stick on this point because we had another company on here recently, I think called Blue Lagoon, possibly, I may have got that wrong, uh, who have equally got an entrepreneur at the helm here. And they talked a very similar language to you in terms of, I, I, I'm, I'm reticent to use the word shortcut, but, but come at it a different way, right? So which which people on the Canadian public market side are not used to. So they are used to companies going through the stages of getting the different scoping studies done and delivering, de-risking the process through these, this reporting, okay? Um, and you're, what you're saying is, I can see what I've got under there. I've got an idea of the scale of what's under there. And your phrase, production, 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 is just get it out of the ground, we, we know we can sell it in the market. That, that seems to be what I'm hearing. Uh, no, get it out of the ground and then decide how we want to sell it in the market. Okay, fair enough. That, fair, fair, fair point. But, you, but, the, but the point is, in terms of the de-risking of the underground component, uh, you're, you're not going to go about it in a conventional way. And that will save you For two more. reasons. For one, Please. one primary reason, Matthew, yeah. is I have, I'm in equity. We are using, we do a mine in two, two and a half million dollars. We don't use five, six hundred million. We don't have feasibility studies that cost you several million dollars. We use, each mine is two million dollars. There's no debt component. I'm not going to banks saying, lend me money. I'm going to do this, that, and everything else. We might do that in the future. But right now, we are all equity play. And I would hope we continue to do that for another round or two. So I can get enough money to do my 10 mines. And then as we grow, we will automatically get into the system. People will see, <coughs> excuse me, that my hypothesis, it's been proven right in K1 and M1, will continue to be proven right. And we become a player in the production side of the market. To be a player, I need at least 30 to 50,000 tons per annum. You do, you do, and I'm just looking at your share price. I mean, in the last month, it's you know doubled, right? 
You oh, triple. We we did triple. the deal at eight cents. Okay. Uh, eight and three quarters. I, I don't know what we are this morning. I've been talking to you, but uh, yesterday okay. we closed at twenty six and a half. Yeah, but about twenty six. Okay. We so, went as high as thirty. Yeah. So people said, okay, I, um, I like the fact that I've been able to go and get some money, and I like what I'm hearing about what they're going to do with that money because it's not going to cost a lot to get the mine moving, get it producing, right? So that's seen, is that what you you think the market's told you with that reaction in the share price? Uh, market has told me many things. Obviously, the most important thing they told me is you're in production. Uh, there's nobody else, right? Uh, Saira or Sira, I don't, I'm not quite sure how they pronounce it, did come in, uh, produce a lot, no question about it, but they also spent some $600 million. You know, I, I, till prior to this financing, we had six and a half million Canadian. And the four and a half million bucks you raised was Canadian too. So it's about three and a half US. So we have done this with a tight, tight, tight ship. And we've shown the results. Uh, we are the cheapest. And, and people have acknowledged you're the cheapest and quickest. The big weakness in the system is obviously... What are you going to do when you grow up and all these numbers that I'm spouting? Uh, is the market going to hold? Given the fact that the battery market prices have dropped, and, you know, things are... Okay. Uh, yeah. So, 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 so let's... Right, okay. So let's say so people... Certain people will like that story and certain people won't like that story in terms of their risk appetite, okay? And they certain people will like the fact that you're doing low-cost low entry... Uh, and other people won't, and that, and that's fine. That's the nature of the market. Let's let's talk about where you think you sell this, because you know we talked at the beginning about you know the the lithium ion batteries, you know nickel and graphite are the biggest biggest volume by by volume are the biggest uh, commodities in in the batteries, and that again has sort of the the, the market for lithium ion batteries has struggled a bit as. You know, COVID's hit. Um, you know, people weren't jumping on board. The governments weren't, you know, giving these subsidies. Uh, we haven't sort of seen things like carbon taxes really kind of take a hold yet. But the signs are there. The signs are there. It, it, it will come. So what sorts of conversations are you having? Because I noticed you sold some product at the beginning of the year into uh, Singapore and also Korea. But, you know, what are the markets you're going for? What are the companies that you're talking to? So uh, it all depends on what we want to sell. And that's a very big decision that we have to take very shortly. So there, if, you, if you bear with me for a second. So gra when graphite started, people started looking at graphite post the pencil and started saying, oh, where can we use this? They started with the battery, right? Why? Because graphite is the best conductor of a, a heat. And it has a great capacity to, to, to have electricity and energy pass through it and be able to conserve some. That's why, you know, your anode and your cathode and your battery and everything else. So they started off with the old EverReady, as you might call it, a Duracell battery, which still produces graphite. But then they went into the electronics market and that was about 15 years ago. Then the next jump was lithium-ion battery. And Mr. Musk's big statement about the should be a nickel graphite cell. And now it's gone into the EV, right? Which is a different kind of battery 
but it's again storage of energy and it's going to go into the next jump which is going to be the big revolution my uh, two cents of prophecy the next big jump in 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 graphite use is energy storage so everybody is going solar energy wind energy tide energy this that and everything else but there's no ability to store when this is not available so during the daytime you've got uh radiation coming in on your solar panels but what happens at night you have a snowstorm 10 days no radiation penetrates your rooftop what do you do so the big thing today is energy storage and i assure you matthew within definitely your lifetime you will have solar panels on your roof and a shoebox somewhere in your garage which will store energy for you for two months and all these big utilities will be out of commission uh, hydrocarbon energy production is going to go away there might be some vestiges over the years for backup this there and the other but it's going to go away so that's the the movement now graphite use in each one of these will continue to be there unless there's some new development in technology which is as in been on the horizon for some time so i, I don't know if it will come up maybe tomorrow some wonder kid will develop something but graphite will always stay a part of that equation and people are saying that the use of graphite currently at around 500000 tons per annum by the year 2030 will go 15 fold so, uh now everything is complicated i remember when i was growing up in the 70s we had betamax and vhs same product right produced a movie on your television through a machine we had one was big one was small one was crooked one was yeah. same way with batteries as you go into the detail of the battery the manufacturer has his own small specs one wants uncoated graphite one wants coated graphite one wants that bigger sphenoid other one the bigger it just goes on so what we have decided to do to sort of for the time being get out of that is initial step number 1 which has to happen is get the graphite out mill it down upgrade it to 99.99% that is battery marketable graphite right so we are at 95% already our cost not that much we have some uh, raw raw material i'm sorry uh other products inside there which will be waste uh we are not going to go with the traditional acid leaching when we do our upgrading we are going to go with the new processes which are green heat thermal uh, yes little more expensive because electricity is expensive unless we build our own electricity generating capacity to be small but that is the product we are talking to various vendors about so we've talked to the japanese Uh, and the koreans i'm and i'm breaking my discussion into two parts here the japanese and the koreans are the technical partners we are talking to uh so panasonic as you know tied up with elon musk in the in his batteries uh, the koreans sk uh, samsung and lucky gold star or oh, lg group now sorry all do it for their own products and are all looking at this and they all sell or are attached to the big ev manufacturers right so even the gm and volkswagen and 
you know, Ferrari have all asked us for samples. So we've sent little packets of the upgraded material to them. I don't see them being major players in the manufacture of the energy storage unit for another 10 years, 15 years. The second part of the market who we've talked to uh, and who are dying to pick up as much as we can give them right now is the Chinese, right? So they have substandard product. They used to be a net exporter of graphite. They now are a net importer of graphite. And when I say substandard, I don't mean it's poor, but in situ graphite for them is 30 to 40%. If they're lucky, in most of it is 10 to 30%. So what do they, and they have flake. So you've got to do separator, you've got to do upgrader, you've got to do concentration, all these things before you get to us. So what do they do? They buy raw graphite from us and they mix it with their own graphite and upgrade the value of their graphite. It's done in all industries, you know, in Sri Lanka, uh, when I explained this to one of the, uh, the senior government officials there, he said, hey, they do that for our pepper and cinnamon. You know, pep pepper is a big export in Sri Lanka, as is cinnamon, and, but high-grade stuff. So people buy it and then they mix it with their lower grade to upgrade the value of the whole uh, box. <coughs> so these are the two, <coughs> excuse me, uh, sectors of the market we've talked to. Am I looking for a long-term contract right now? <coughs> Possibly. Most uh, mining companies, going back to your historical model, will want, oh, long-term contract, get financing based on that. For me, that's, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm not looking for $100 million. But if I get a long-term contract, it ties me down to my future plan. So I'd rather do short-term sales to people. But I have great desire to be able to set up a joint venture with, say, one of the Japanese or Korean producers of the high-end stuff, whereby I'll supply them the, the graphite and we can share in the value-added product. So question for you, do you think when you're going about the process of raising capital in the future, you, you're just going to do it all through equity in the market, you're not going to need to get strategic investors in because you don't need a lot of capital, right? Um, and and is, that how, is, that, is that the plan? So I just... Well, uh, look... Finance 101, debt is cheaper than equity. Now, my plan, though, is for the next year or so, as we grow our base, to definitely stick to equity. But Unless we get a debt deal from somebody that is so advantageous that we can use it, right? But going forward, when we start developing the upgrade, the levels of, value add in our business, we're going to need some debt. You are, going but, to leverage. But, but to do that, you're also going to need to show them that there are long-term contracts. In you're talking about short-term contracts, right? Uh, no, 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 no. Sorry, maybe I misspoke there. I'm talking about shorter-term contracts right now in my current phase. But once we go into the upgraded, the plan is to go with somebody like if, if God came to me and said, what do you want? I'd say, say, JV with Panasonic. I, you know, then, then Panasonic is there as the long-term buyer of the product. Right, okay, understood. Thanks, thanks for clearing that up. Just want to be crystal clear about what the plan is. So it, it scans to me, the optics are, it's quite entrepreneurial approach. You, you try to spend the least amount of money to get into production as quickly as possible. Um, and you feel that you, you can do that 
as you've laid out today. Are you getting any pushback? Certainly when you were going and doing the fundraising, were you getting any pushback on your business plan? Uh, the biggest pushback we've got, Matthew, and, uh, you know, it started at that conference where we met uh, in London uh, in November of uh, 19. Uh, was people don't believe 18, that this is 18. That's how old 18, we are. Uh, 18. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah that just 18. happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, people don't believe that this is possible. Oh, you're bullshitting me, is the standard answer. Uh, you don't have this kind of fancy product. It doesn't cost so little uh, because in Canada, to put a mine in costs $100 million. You need to do, as you say, a PEA and a bankable feasibility study and this and, and everything else. And, and when we, the reason I, I'm trying to do a lot of this, uh, like talking to people like you is to educate my existing investors and potential investors that we are a different kettle of fish here. We are not the standard run-of-the-mill stuff. You know, heavy rock huge one mine operation. We are multiple small mines. We are cheap to build and put in. So if we run out of a, a resource in 20 years, so be it, we'll put another one in. We've got 121 sites. And I'm consistently trying to change these sites based on, so if I have a bad site, I go back to the GSMB and I give it back to them and I get another site, replace it which we think is as good as something that we, else we have. So you continue that process. So that's been our biggest sort of weakness. And the fact that we don't have all these standard and national instrument 43101, etc. Those have been the biggest issues. But I think as we educate the person and we show them, uh, and uh, you know, hopefully my cameras will start working again, I can actually take people down into the mine and show them. This is it. You know, bringing a geologist. Uh, I could show you a, 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 a small uh, detonation of uh, explosive. I can show you where the vein is. You can get out your slide rule and measure it, you know, whatever you want to do. And people are believing more and more. That's why the last funding we had, we had to stop at four and a half million bucks simply because there was so much demand but it, it, it sent it the dilution of <laughs> so, uh, my existing shareholders will get upset. So we had to keep that a little bit in balance there. Well, I mean, I'm excited to see how you guys get on because, you know, like I said, it's very rare that we get people coming on, entrepreneurs coming on in what is, a, as you say, you know, there is traditional mining um, parlance. Um, so I'm interested to see how you get on. You just started again on K1. And M1. And M1. And so what, so what should people be looking out for next? What's, what are you going to come back to and tell us? Well, I'm, uh, what I'd like to come back to you next with is early next month, uh, say, you know, we've taken X out of the ground. And uh, by, you know, we've, talk to so-and-so and they want to sign an MOU with you. And hopefully by April, I've got my MLA license for uh, IMLA for M1. And, you know, we are at full stream. And it is my plan 
uh, that by June we start one more site. Okay, and so again, just give me a sense of okay, you got K1 and M1 going. You're you're producing, you're taking stuff out of the ground. In what sort of quantities, and what are you getting for that? Are you are you so making by, money? I, I'm initially uh, Matthew going to start off at about twenty tons a month. By the end of the year, end of 2021, I'm hoping to have brought out about a thousand, thousand one hundred tons, and be at around two hundred tons uh, a month at the K1 site, and about twenty, twenty-five tons a month for the M1 site. But by the end of year, let me see here, and I'll tell you, it's right here. So by the end of year three, so that will be 2023. I should be at full capacity uh, at both K1 and M1. Right, and you know other mines coming. It's you know it's underground mining, a little different than open pit. You can't expand the amount of rubble you pick up before you put it into the separator. But here we have to go down and takes a bit of time. Yeah. Uh, so the Ramp up is a little slower, but once you get to the beauty of vein graphite is, I can just take my chisel and hammer and bring out big pieces of this stuff. You saw the piece we had in London, the big twenty-pound piece. That's the kind of stuff you can take out. You crush it, take it up, or take it up and crush it. You know, it's it, it, it's um, it's it's easier easily done. The other big issue, which I'm sure everybody's going to tell you when they give you feedback on this, is how do we compare to synthetic graphite? <laughs> because the big competition is synthetic graphite to natural graphite, and the big argument that all these battery manufacturers have is synthetic graphite has consistency of grade versus you guys who can be here, there, and everywhere. But that is a bad example to give, simply because when we Upgrade. So if I have ninety percent one stone and ninety-five percent other stone crushed together, it doesn't become an average of ninety-five percent, ninety-four percent. When we upgrade it, it all becomes the same. So as long as my upgraded cost matches the cost of synthetic graphite, I'm okay. And right now, synthetic graphite is right up here, and we are down here. So it's got to come up, and we think that. Uh, uh, that will be more and more in our favor as it goes up, because the higher it goes, the more margins we make. Okay. Well, by, like we so my average cost, mm -hmm. just to give you the coup de gras here. Yep. My average cost of production right now at current levels underground is around two hundred to two hundred fifty dollars a ton, unmatched. Which you're selling for what? Two thousand. Two thousand. Okay. There you go. There you go. There's there's the there's the moment. That's raw graphite. Yeah. <laughs> well, but we better leave it there because we, we we've probably used up a lot a lot more time than um, I, I think I told you at the beginning here. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about it. Come back and tell us again how you're getting on. I'm, I'm intrigued to sort of see the progression and the speed of progression um, here. Uh, we'd be delighted to take your phone call, sir. We're delighted to come back and thank you very much, Matthew. Good catching up with you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. 
We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.